Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. They've got a bullpen led by a guy named Clay Holmes that nobody's ever heard of before the season, who's given up two runs all season. Um, you know, it's not Chapman and Zach Britton leading the way. It's Clay Holmes and Michael King. So the question is, will this hold up over six months? And can these guys do it in October? And that's going to be the million-dollar question for the Yankees. Two runs all season. Tanner Rady gives up two every night. <laughs> <laughs> the Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. Tannerini didn't pitch yesterday, I don't think, right? He was well-deserved day off. Yeah, because he'd worked so hard and done so well. <laughs> and they already had off. lost the lead. Um, let me just um, let people know, um, and we do this every once in a while, and this is on behalf of the Cope family and the Sweet family. Uh, James Cope, a longtime listener to this podcast, passed away yesterday. He was a resident of Leavenworth, Kansas, by way of Wethersfield, Connecticut. Avid Giants and Yankees fan, though much more Yankee fan in current days due to the struggling Giants. He listened to the podcast. He listened to PTI. He loved comparing his grandchildren with my grandchildren. So so we will miss him, and uh, our condolences go out to both families, the Cope and the Sweet family. I, I also want to give a quick shout-out to um, Dave Spector and Sarah Spector of Bells Up. I called them oh. yesterday. I ordered, I ordered a case of wine. And I'm, I mean, I'm not doing this to make myself look good in anybody's eyes. I'm really not. But what I said, I called up and I said, it's time for us to buy some wine from you. You've been very nice to us over a long period of time. We've bought wine from Duska Jensen. We have bought wine uh, from Cindy Wenslow, and now we're buying wine from you. And he was, you know, tickled. You know, it was really nice. We do have a new policy that I'm not going to get into in very specific things, but we are very grateful for the people that send us things that we want. Yes. Not for the people that send us things that we don't want. <laughs> people that send us things that we want. We yes. are very grateful for that. Absolutely. Um, everybody should clean out their house once every 10 years or so. I'm cleaning out my house once every 30 years. Yeah, you're a few decades late, Dad. Yeah, I'm very far behind. And we're going through books. How are you doing on the golf clubs? I'm sort of waiting for you, you know, to go down into the basement and let me Set know. Set a deadline. Yeah. Did I? Okay. No, you so did not. I, actually, I did. I did set a deadline. I said it would be by, I thought I said by July 21st. I thought that was the deadline. That gives you plenty of time. Sure. Well, then maybe let's not bring it up until closer to said deadline. Oh, it's whatever. You, well, you, you know, you can beat the deadline madness by doing it early. I'd rather wait. Okay. That's fine. You can do that. <laughs> So we're going through books, books that we want to save and books that we don't really want to save, and we want to give away to libraries or to people who just want the books. And my policy is basically this. On a coin flip book, it's going to be, is the book inscribed to me? If the book's inscribed to me, I'm going to keep the book. I never would have thought of that. Really? That's the coin flip. I don't have books and books inscribed to me. Right. Well, I have some, yes. So Carol the other day brings a book to me, a book by Dave Barry, the brilliant Dave oh. Barry, the Pulitzer Prize winning, Just between the- us, we have won, <laughs> he has won, I have none, Dave Barry, who I love. Yes, he's the best. And it's called Dave Barry's Only Travel Guide You'll Ever Need. And I go, you want to get rid of this? And she says something or other, and I start looking for the autograph, see if there's an autograph. Don't know that there's an autograph. I don't recognize the book. I don't know when we got the book. Here is what the autograph says. For Carol, with vivid memories of prom night, 
which you should probably not tell Tony about. <laughs> Always Dave Barry. That's brilliant. We're not getting rid of this book. That's just brilliant. I wish I was that funny. Oh, Put it in the free little library out front. You know, that's great. So I called Levitard. I left Levitard a message because he's tight with, with Dave. Right. I could have called Mitch. I called Levitard. I left a message. Give me Dave's number so I can call him, so I can text him, so I can thank him and tell him the story. And, of course, Levitard hasn't done that yet. <laughs> Down the road he will. Or somebody will just send me Dave Barry's number. But how brilliant is that? That's, that's awesome. That's yeah. fantastic. We're not getting rid of that. Quick no, etiquette question. So for you, you've been sent so many books that are pre-publishing. Yeah. Uh, are, you, are you allowed Galleys. to Yeah, are you allowed to donate those? Are those supposed yeah. to be tossed in some way? No, I mean, they're not even the real book. I mean, they're the galleys of the book. The book gets changed. They're uncorrected proofs most of the time. If I have those, those can go somewhere else. But I mean, if someone has taken the trouble to autograph the book to me, I can take the trouble of keeping the book as far as I'm concerned. What? What? No, this is a real book. Yeah. No, that's not the that's not the galley proof. Well, what are we? T are, 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 are we? We have disembodied voices here. Girls doing a walk and talk. What is? What was that? Just placed the book. Um. All right. All right. So, what else did I want? Oh, yeah. I want to talk about Nadal. I know that we're going to have Liz Clark on, but I just want to talk about Nadal in this sense. I'll give you the timeline yesterday and how it affected the PTI show. I think people usually like that when they know. Oh, we I have oh, behind the curtain, yeah. We have lately in the last week, week and a half, a couple of shows with Mike and both shows with Pablo so far. We've been changing shows on the fly. I tend to try to lock into the stuff that I've written down and not have to do more work than the work I've already done. And so when I talk to Kelleher, and he says, well, we may have to change. What do you think about this? My first reaction is always, no, no, we don't. No, let's keep it where it is. Yeah, no, I'm ready for it. <laughs> so we had a Nadal thing. Uh, our thought yesterday was to do happy trails, maybe, but hopefully not to Rafael Nadal from Wimbledon. And I wrote a trails about how it was being reported that Nadal had this tear, muscle tear in his abdomen, and that he practiced, and he couldn't, according to eyewitness accounts, couldn't hit full serves, and then met with his team afterwards. But, you know, everybody was still hopeful that he would go out there and just destroy Nick Kyrgios, who is vile. Nobody likes Nick Kyrgios, and everybody likes Nadal. And that's sort of how I left it, that, that the copy said tomorrow, because we were saying it yesterday evening, or yesterday afternoon, Tomorrow, Nadal is scheduled to play in a semifinal match against Nick Kyrgios, who he essentially loathes for serving underhand to him and trying to show him up for years and years and years. So then I get a text from Nigel, and the text from Nigel says that Nadal has dropped out. Uh... I don't really want to tell Kelleher this because I know it's going to change things. So what's the timestamp on this? This was in the 4 oh. o'clock hour? And, and, uh, just in the in, threes. Like, in, in full I disclosure. Like 3.30-ish? I have to credit Liz Clark for texting oh, okay. me first. So okay. Yes. So, but, yeah. but I call Matt. I call Kelleher and I said, I just found out that he dropped out. And I said, what do you think we ought to do? And Kelleher said, well, what do you think we ought to do? And I said, well, I just think we change the trails. It's still trails. He's out now. And I rewrite the trails. So I rewrite the trails. I rewrite the trails. This is after 4 o'clock now. So now I've done this twice. I've done the Nadal segment twice. 
And then Matt calls up again. He says he was talking to Eric and talking to Pablo. And they all really think we ought to lead the show with it. And I know they're right. I know they're right. And I just, I know, I'm, I know they're right. Of course they're right. I'm wrong. I'm just trying to save myself work in the 21st year of this show before they kick us off the air. So we redo it. We drop a story. We actually drop a story about Bradley Beal, which isn't much of a story anyway. Um, Pablo likes basketball, so we try and put basketball in for Pablo. Pablo likes the Yankees in basketball. But I know that they're right, so we lead with Nadal, and, and everything is done on the fly, and now we have no trails. And they write the trails. The trails ends up being something about the goalie from Colorado is going into free agency because Colorado didn't even offer him a contract. Colorado instead traded for a backup goalie on the Rangers. Because this is, and this is Wilbon's theory, and it's always proven correct. His theory comes from the Chicago Blackhawks. He said, when you win a Stanley Cup, the money gets too much for hockey. Hockey's not basketball. Hockey's yeah. not football. The money gets too much. The contracts come up. People want too much money. So they just let them go. And that's why it's very hard to win Stanley Cup after Stanley Cup after Stanley Cup because your roster is essentially not the same. It's certainly not just around the edges, but in the middle. You, you're getting rid of your goals. So anyway, that became the trails, and, and I guess Matt or Eric wrote it, and I read it. And, and of course, they, they were laughing because there were four unpronounceable names in it. <laughs> you know, Shesterkin and Gorgiev and, you know, and things I've never even heard of because I'm not a hockey guy. But day after day after day, the show changes. So when I guess the lesson in this is that, yes, we are on tape almost all the time. But we start pretty late. And we end usually pretty close to when we're on. So if something happens that's new, we have to respond to it. I'm the one, I'm standing at the door screaming, no, no, because my I've already done my work. And now there's just more work. I'm not a more work guy. I've never been a more. I'm happy to do my work, but I don't want to do more. So, but but I think right. casual viewers don't know how much thought and effort goes into the rundown of the show, the oh, pacing yeah. of the show, and for for talent on air, how much how much don't they you see put what I'm words? writing? I mean, I'd sit there with a legal pad and take notes for hours and try to prepare what I'm going to say. What I'm going to say, unless Pablo says or Mike says something weird for me, and, and then, then you I always go get Mike's first yeah, take. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's what happened. Um, that has nothing to do with what we'll talk about with Nadal, although I will. Say this, Rafael Nadal, and I'll ask Liz this, he had a chance at the Grand Slam. Let me explain what the Grand Slam is, because a lot of people say that all of these majors are Grand Slams. They're not. They're majors, just like in golf. There is only one definition for the Grand Slam. It is winning all the majors in the same calendar year. Not, not winning... Wimbledon and the U.S. Open in one year and then the Australian and the French the next. No, it's not that. It's not the Serena Slam. It's not the Tiger Slam. It's not any. That's nonsense. That's four in a row, but that's not the Grand Slam. The Grand Slam's in the same year. The last man to do this was Rod Laver in 1969. That's a ways back. None of these other great players have done it. Last woman to do it is Steffi Groff, and I think it was in the late 80s. Yeah, 80, It's 80. only been five people who have ever done it. And Nadal had won two 
and was into the semifinals in the third on his worst surface. You had to give him a chance because he's won the tournament before. Long time back, but he's won the tournament before. For him to drop out, his pain must have been intense. Oh, yeah. You don't. Because you don't drop. He gives the best quotes. The one from the day before where they're asking, like, so what are your plans? He goes, I cannot tell you that right now because if I tell you and something changes tomorrow, then I will have been a liar. Yeah. There's nobody that lives. Well, everybody knows this. Liz loves Nadal. Yeah. They loves Nadal. Liz in my house. But so, yeah, I, I can't imagine. I mean, with the, motions, with the motions that you have to do, the serving, and, you know, the, I mean, everything with that abdominal muscle is attached. You know, it just seems like, I mean, you saw the pain he was in in that previous match. We could barely even, you know, hit a serve. His, His body is breaking him to, down. To get out. What's that? His whole team's telling him to get out. I know. Yeah. Out. His, His father. father just quit. His father like, no, is no. telling him to Do you get think out. You've seen him play a few times. Yeah. I, it's, it was remarkable what he did. It's it, it is a shame that he won't be there. To, to so try. anyway, we've taken all of Liz's thunder by just babbling. So we'll have Liz Clark when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a singer named Natalie Hamilton. This is a song called Show You My Love. And Timothy Riccio from Branford, Connecticut sent us this note. I'm a loyal little harking back to the days of the PTI preview and the American Idol recap review. I've loved almost every moment since then. I want to gush over you and praise you for all you've provided for us and all you continue to do, even though you will never truly understand why. I've been meaning to share my cousin's music with you and your audience ever since you started playing music in this way. Her name is Natalie Hamilton. Yes, Natalie Hamilton. And there's a million things she hasn't done, but just you wait. Just you wait. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. Hopefully you got the reference. Anywho, she's my first cousin. She's an absolute phenom. Our voice is a divine gift, and I hope you enjoy it. Are you kidding me? <laughs> there are just people walking around that can do this? Mm-hmm. It's amazing, isn't it? This is the part of the show that gets to me most of all. Because they're just people walking around who can sing like this and play. Amazing. She plays in Liz Clark. And we said in the open that nobody loves Rafael Nadal more than Liz Clark. And we expect her to say that at various points while we talk. But let's start with the headline, which is not the withdrawal, but, but how shocking for you. You know Rafael Nadal. He plays with more power and effort than anybody in tennis. There's nobody in any sport who grinds like this guy. So how shocked are you that he actually withdrew from the semifinals of Wimbledon? Well, where to begin? The the song is brilliant. I agree <laughs> with the proud cousin. Thank you for having me. Um, not to be... Uh, Un, uh, not what you expect, but I was not shocked. I, I was oh. not surprised. And I mean, all you said is true. He does not quit. He certainly would not quit during a match. Um, and I think we saw that 
in in his previous round against um, Taylor Fritz that just like it was clear by the second set he had a an abdominal issue on the heels of having broken ribs um, this spring or fractured ribs. So um, so the reason I I wasn't shocked is uh, that morning yesterday morning. Um, I mean, I, I'm not there. Let me just be clear. I, uh, we have the wonderful Chuck yeah, Pepper yeah. covering, so I'm here. But I'm, like, deeply following along um, as best I can what's happening, especially the news, the live news. And he went – Nadal practiced yesterday morning, and he cut it cut it off after 45 minutes. And his practices during a slam are an hour and a half or two. And, and I've seen him – many times practice and I saw him practice at the city open um, after the foot flared up and he, when he cut that practice short, I, I knew he couldn't go on. So I knew he, he you know, he, he has a torn abdominal muscle. It's not a strain or a pull. Um, and, you know, his, his father and sister during the previous match were, like, begging him with their gestures, please stop. You know, he, he wouldn't stop. But, you know, if you can't serve, um, you know, there's, there's no point in, in going on. So I, it was the right decision. I wasn't shocked, but I'm deeply disappointed. But, but I'm actually kind of happy that he made the, the mature, on, you know, decision that had to be made. Okay. I am not suggesting... Point that Rafael Nadal would have won the Grand Slam, putting him in the company with Don Budge and Rod Laver over the last hundred years, the only men who have ever done that. I'm not suggesting that, but he had a shot. He won the first two when he was in the semifinals in a tournament, which granted is his worst surface, but which he has won twice before. There is immortality in winning that. Absolute immortality. And it's over. How do you think he feels about that? You know, I think that's not the devastating thing for him. Um, it this sounds unbelievable, but I he does not gauge or measure his success and achievement in number of titles, number of slams, you know, where he stands alone by a metric. I mean, he he... He just does not. He's an outlier in that regard and in many other regards. Um, I, I don't think the prospect of a slam, of, of a true Grand Slam, right. was why he played at Wimbledon this year. I mean, it is true that it was the first time he had won the first two. So it was the first time he was in position to even right. think in those terms. But I certainly don't think that is why he's like, oh, well, I'll play Wimbledon now. Um, you know, he he did what he had to do to quiet the foot, the chronic foot injury that was such an issue, has been an issue for years, but was a big issue at, at the French. Um, so, no, I don't, I don't think that's the thing weighing on him, no. Okay. Well, let me get to some numbers, and maybe you've talked to him about this, or maybe you know people who know the answer to this. He is up two in terms of career majors. He's two ahead. He's got more than any other man in history, and he's two ahead of Djokovic. Had he gotten to the finals against Djokovic, which we assume Djokovic will get to the finals of Wimbledon and beaten Djokovic, he would have been three up. He would have beaten him this year on clay, beaten him on grass, and I would suggest that Djokovic never would have caught him if he was three up at this point. Ah. 
but now he could only be one up. Do you think? Do you think he roots for or against Djokovic? If the numbers don't matter to him, does he have a particular feeling about Djokovic? No, I, I imagine he does, but he's never indicated as much, and never would indicate as much. I mean, he. Well, he doesn't so like Kyrios. He has indicated as much. Oh yes. Well, right. you know, but but. I mean, I was going to say something affirmative. I, I oh. think Nadal and Federer both, increasingly as they age, are very free in admitting their admiration, debt, respect for one another. I mean, people all often talk about the big three, but I think in Nadal and Federer's mind, they are a special pair. You know, no disrespect, I, I don't think, intended to Djokovic, but... There's a, a reverence with which that they hold for each other is my feeling. But no, I don't think Nadal is rooting for or against Djokovic in this, and I, because I don't think the metric is 21. What's my lead? Who's closing? Mm-hmm. The fact that he is leading, you know, how much, how many more slams are left in my uh, career versus Djokovic's career? Blah blah blah. Uh, no, I don't think he has okay. a rooting interest. So I've watched a lot of Wimbledon because it's been on in the morning and I'm up yeah. in the morning and I watch it and it's been wonderful to watch in the yeah. main, in the main. Nobody can root for Kyrgios. Kyrgios is vile on the court and <sighs> there's just, you know, you can defend him if you want, but he's vile on the court. But they would have rooted like crazy for Nadal. It's unbelievable. I mean, yeah. if you play against Nadal, even if you're a wonderful person, I'm sure some of these people are wonderful. Yeah. The crowd just wants Nadal. And the drama of a Nadal-Djokovic final would have been oh. in such stark contrast. And now, you know, like the Kyrgios-Djokovic um, final, it's like, uh, okay. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, and no, They no, love Nadal, right? I mean, they no, love him. Like, no, I would like double down and say, like, in the span of 24 hours yesterday, the narrative on both sides of the tournament went from just sterling and full of promise and, and ratings gold and all that to, like, whoa, this could be a big embarrassment. This is not what Wimbledon had in mind at all. Yeah. So it was kind of mind-blowing. And so the I don't think it's out of the realm that Kyrgios beats Djokovic in the final because he is so unpredictable, so ungodly talented. Um, so should that happen, uh, Wimbledon's going to be crowning a men's champion who has twice been fined this tournament alone, once for spitting on its own fans. And part of being crowned Wimbledon champion is you're a lifetime member of the All England Club. So they're going to have Nick Kyrgios, you know, who many regard as a disgrace to the game, a disgrace to Wimbledon. I mean, I think that's a bit too much. Especially He's facing an assault charge in Australia, a domestic Pardon? violence charge. Well, in there Australia. is that. Yeah, no, no, the list is long. But then, you know... People probably are following the women's side less intensely, just given the the doll pursuit. But lo and behold, there is a a Moscow-born Russian who now has Kazakhstan nationality as of just four years ago um, in the final. So Wimbledon may be crowning 
um, a, you know, a Russian Kazakh woman uh, as its champion. And when they've thrown out all the Russian players. Yes, this yes. Year. You, yes. You said the key thing when yes. they not only banned all the Russian and Belarusian players, but it has had horrendous unintended consequences. You know, nobody can get points for this. And Wimbledon is also being fined a million dollars by the women's tour for this ban. And so the the royalty may be crowning um, Elena uh, Rybakina as the women's champ and, and Kyrgios as the men's. And neither narrative is what the All England Club thought they were in for. Yeah, do you have any thoughts on the women's final? Do you, do you have? Do you think that one of the women is better than the other? I had never seen Ribikina until yesterday, and she was dominating, totally oh, she dominating. Crushed Halep. She crushed oh, Halep. Yeah. No, I I must like sing an ode to Ange Jabour. I, I just think she okay. is one of the most exceptional, um, much like Nadal, a big-hearted, generous. Um, lovely to everyone, loved by everyone. I'm not even getting to her game yet, um, but but and I love her game. You watch it; it's so full of creativity and variety and touch. It's like, is she playing with a wooden racket? Is you know, this is really what tennis ought to be about with with some you know masterful array of shots. It's not like the bludgeoning uh, big babe tennis that you know is has for many years decided who wins. Um, and and so I love her game. I love her comportment. I, I love that in her semifinal, like I'm going to start tearing up, but she would not even do her on-court interview without bringing with her the woman she just beat, you know, to, to, to like embrace her and, and show her off to the crowd and praise, you know, Tatiana Maria. She's just an exceptional role model. Um, and like all of Tunisia is insane. And, and, you know, as well, the continent, she's the first Arab, first African woman to reach uh, a slam final, yeah. but she's lovely. I, I, I think, so it's a huge contrast of styles. It'll be a great final. I don't know that the ratings will be that good, but they should be. It'll be a great final, I think. Let me get back to Nadal, get you out of yeah. here on this. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's got stomach problem that's mm. probably persistent. It's probably like a hamstring, probably. He's got the foot problem. He's got all mm. sorts of... He's breaking down. Yeah. I mean, he's a horse that's breaking down. And the way he plays, yeah. it's impossible to sustain it if you're breaking down. It, it, uh, is this the last of him? Is, is this you it? You know, I, 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 I would never declare something like that um but you know a couple things it, it's his health situation it is kind of like a dam and you put your finger in the, in one hole and then there's another yeah. one breaks out you know it's yeah. just different parts of the body it is related to the physicality in which he practices and competes um and then the foot issue is like degenerative i mean that that is not necessarily a function of it's not like he did that to himself but the abdominal uh, muscle is torn um he had a rib fracture as i said this year um had to numb his foot in order to get through the french so i don't know how much longer he's gonna put himself through this um and then you know one thing that people may not be aware his wife is pregnant and so he recently acknowledged that and i've always thought that you know, once Nadal becomes a dad, I think that'll be the end of his career. And I say that just because 
you know, he's so all about family. He's such a devoted family person. And everything I've seen him do since I first covered him when he was 19, um, he does with his whole heart, you know. And I just can't see him not being a dad with his whole heart. I, I, I just don't know that he's one of these tour guys that's going to have nannies coming along and minding the kids. So, you know, it's not just health. I, I just think there's an arc of a career and, and uh, you know, maybe he plays at the U.S. Open, but maybe he plays one more French. But, um, no, I, I think everybody who watches in person or on TV should consider it a privilege to see what may be his last. Yeah, that's what I think, too. Thank you, Liz. Thank you so sure. very much, as always. Sure. Liz Clark, boys and girls. Okay. We'll Bye. take a break. Jason LaConfora will join us. We're going to talk about Baker Mayfield. Going to do the deep Baker Mayfield dive. And I know that Wilbon would hate this because he can't stand <laughs> Baker Mayfield. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. I would like to write you a love song. Once again, this is Natalie Hamilton. Her cousin writes, um, if you like her music, she and I would love to continue to send you more and more of her music to share and experience. I'm sure. Yeah, send it. You know why? Because it's really, really good. (laughs) She does, um, I don't know what the Twitch channel is, but apparently that's where she does live performances. Natalie On the Twitch? On the Twitch channel. That's beyond me. I don't get that on my television. I'm sure it's it's one of those other things. Yes. One of those internet things (laughs) that I don't even understand at all. Michael, if people like Natalie Hamilton want their music played... For all of us to enjoy, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornizershow.com. I think DeShambo's on the Twitch. Yeah, is he on Twitch? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Big uh, Twitch guy. Jason Lockenfora <laughs> joins Twitch. us. I, I need to preface this, Jason, and you will appreciate this yeah. so much. Um, the other day, Baker Mayfield, there was actual news, not speculation. Yeah. There was actual news about Baker Mayfield. He was traded for a bag of beans to the yep. Carolina Panthers with everybody, including him, giving up money to do this. Okay. Yeah. So Wilbon goes wild because um, Pablo and I do this on the show. And Wilbon, <laughs> Wilbon writes and he goes, because Wilbon's out. He's with his son. He's doing something. And took a few days off, which I'm going to take next week. So Wilbon writes. He says he hates Baker Mayfield. He says, how did this guy become John Elway? He has no talent whatsoever, and every single time he blows his nose, it's the lead story on every, sh- every show on ESPN. And I wrote him back, and I said, Mike, it's actual news. It's not speculative hot stove. Sure. It's actual hot stove. But, but just to antagonize him, I want to do a deep dive on Baker Mayfield with Jason. <laughs> and I'm your guy. Yeah. I'm, did- I'm the man for the job. How did he get to Carolina? I mean, what else? Because I thought maybe Seattle yeah. was out there. I don't know what's sure. out there. How did he get to yeah. Carolina? Well, I, I mean, I, I think it's a simple case of supply and demand, right? Econ 101. At the end of the day, the industry had by and large decided that 
with this coming to a head, his future with the Browns coming to a head at a point in time in which a lot of the dominoes in a wild quarterback offseason had already kind of settled into place. Right, A lot of the other things had already been decided. Musical chairs was over except for him and Garoppolo. And Garoppolo obviously wasn't going to be able to throw football until sometime after the 4th of July. So that was a back burner. So, yeah, I mean, Seattle, did it ever get hot and heavy with him in Seattle? No. Did I think at some point it would if the price is right? I did. Um, But this is a case of there not being any teams that wanted to pay him what his contract stipulated. You and I have been talking about this for months. I said, it'll get real when Jimmy Haslam sends out a signal that I'm willing to eat more than half of this. And once he bit that bullet in the last, I'd say, seven to ten days, then it became clear that um, if he, if his side was willing to facilitate some things too and back off so that the actual commitment to his new team was around $5 bucks, which is the going rate for – um, I, I, I wouldn't even say a top, top tier backup, but, you know, a good established higher end backup, then this can happen. And that way they could get themselves uh, some draft pick of potential note based on how he plays and how healthy he stays and how many games he starts. And that's what happened. I think a lot of the, the, the mythologizing of this or, 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 you know, this taking on a life of its own was the fact that, this was a bonkers quarterback offseason again. There were two dangling participles, one who was healthy or healthier, or at least his yeah. shoulder surgery was non-throwing, and another who was completely on the shelf. There's nothing else really going on in the NFL world and hasn't been. It's been relatively slow, not wood, for the last few weeks. Um, really, even probably the last four weeks. And so this has been something that the rumor factory has continued to churn about, and it's easy to speculate on. And a lot of people were talking about it just because there wasn't a whole hell of a lot else going on in the NFL. But I think more than anything, it's just another parable on the industry's inability to um, grasp this position, understand this position, quantify this position, effectively value the quarterback position. Because I'm old enough to remember this very draft that involved this guy at first overall and Sam Darnold was being paid $19 million to do nothing a couple of picks later and Josh Allen, and then, oh, eventually around 32, the very end of that draft, first round, Lamar Jackson. So I think that, coupled with what happened this week, which is this guy now playing for $5 million in terms of what his new team is paying him, versus $19 million as the first pick in that draft, pretty much tells you everything you know, but you need to know about how this business sort of botches or, 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 or fails to, to, to grasp how to value this position and how to get it right. So let me, let me just go backwards a little bit. Obviously, the people in Cleveland did not think that Baker Mayfield was up to that task. And they signed Deshaun Watson for a guarantee of $230 million, guarantee. <laughs> and they did More this. quarterback inefficiency. Yeah, they did this with a guy who's not going to be able to play. He's not going to start the season. I don't know when he's going to be able to play again, but I'd bet anything he's not going to at least start the season. And so you you, you humiliate Baker Mayfield, and you don't have a quarterback, and you've humiliated Baker Mayfield. And if you – is there a way they could have gone about this, that Baker Mayfield could have been salvaged for this year for them? It would have been a a, – 
tough needle to thread. Right. Um, I would say the Browns under Jimmy Haslam have by no means been the um, pillars of nuance, flexibility, uh, and and uh, sort of advanced NFL roster cajoling uh, under their ownership. In fact, it's kind of been one fire after the next. And, yes. and again, when we get to this level – the people who will take the hit for this, if Jacoby Brissett plays 12 or 14 games this year and the Browns are miserable, the people who will take the hit are the coach and the GM. And this is completely over their heads. This is not their call. They're not the ones deciding how much money an owner is willing to eat to move a contract. They weren't the ones deciding how much money Jimmy Haslam was willing to spend to get himself into this mess in the first place with Deshaun Watson. Um, so do I think they had the dexterity at the highest level of that organization to navigate this in a way where you can sort of placate Baker and keep him on a bit of a back burner while going through this process, yeah. knowing that, well, this guy still might not play football Watson. So we still might need the other guy. I, I don't think, I think even they knew in their conscious or subconscious, that's so beyond what we're capable of. What we're, we're going to do is what, what comes natural to us, which is go absolutely crazy to win in their minds this Deshaun Watson thing, and then I'll let my football people figure everything else out. Well, guess what? You left your football people with a hand that was untenable that ultimately led to you still having to pay another upwards of $11 million for them to get back a middling draft pick just so you could get a guy out of your building. And while Jimmy Haslam can deny all he wants that the comments about we need an adult you know, in the room that Chris Mortensen reported didn't come from Jimmy Haslam himself, it's, it's, I mean, the relationship between Haslam and Mortensen is well-known and well-established. And whether that came from Haslam directly or not in, 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 in the industry, in, in, to, to agents, to other teams, it may as well have. So at that point, I think that kind of shows you more about how the Browns can handle these things than, you know, this this sort of scenario you're talking about where they're able to, to simultaneously juggle three quarterback things, yeah. you know, knowing that the guy they're about to consummate a long-term contract with has no start date. You literally don't know when he can start working for you. Like, nah, they'll just sell out to get that guy and figure the rest out later. I know that Dan Snyder's a terrible owner, but this guy's an equally terrible owner. He is a terrible owner. I, I mean, you want to make a deal with Deshaun Watson, I get it, but you you cannot rationally make that deal and think he's going to play right away, right? You can't. You well, can't be it, that though. stupid. Look how they structured the deal. I mean, they structured yeah. the deal that you're not going to lose any. Like if if you know if you're out the the whole year, the net net for you is going to be a massive win. You, you know, you 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 might not get that million bucks, but there's two hundred and twenty nine million other that's you know pot of gold on the other side of the rainbow. So they knew. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's amazing when I talked to people in the Steelers organization before all this was going down, when it became pretty clear that Jimmy Haslam was the front runner to get the Cleveland Browns. I mean, the Rooney family, like everybody thought this was going to, and that's just in their division. You know what I mean? But it's like the Browns are such a sleeping giant and we love for that, that, that rivalry with them to be energized and more passionate and frankly, more competitive. And everybody thought this was going to be a huge win for the league. Um, 
and they were, you know, and, and look, they were minority owners with the Steelers and the Rooney's, you know, were, were, were their biggest advocates. But sometimes I don't, you know, until you're in the big chair and until everything runs through your desk, I guess you never really know. I agree. I agree with that. Do you think, do you think Mayfield will beat out Donald? Do you think, do you think we'll see Mayfield? Yes. Donald stinks. Yeah, and look, Sam Darnold, I think, has has sort of been mentally shot for a while now. I think he's kind of been been damaged goods. Um, and I, I would be just sort of knowing how those two are wired a little bit. Um, like, do I think Baker Mayfield's going to play great football? No. But I also don't think that's a very, <laughs> very small bar to clear. Like, right. be better than what Sam Darnold looked like yeah. the last three years, really his entire career say, for a three- or four-week spell here or there. Um, yeah, I think Baker Mayfield will find a way to – the one thing about Baker Mayfield is and he can be divisive and he can be polarizing. But you talk to people who were at that pro day and the way the rest of that team rallied around him, like – he he has like there's a little bit of stuff to him like he he's got a little bit of s to him in a good way um that it's not going to it's not going to resonate with absolutely positively everybody but like can he become the personality in the quarterback position that the, that 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 people gravitate to on that roster real quickly i think he can now let me just point this out he was a walk-on at Oklahoma, and he ended up winning the Heisman Trophy. There's got to be something there, Jason. Yeah. There's got to yeah. be. Yeah, yeah, and it was, it, again, it wasn't even just the, the quantifiable. It was like the way people, the way these guys wanted to run through walls for this, you know, right. smallish, sort That's of cocky, right. like, yes. who the hell is he? How, <laughs> yes. how can he have this swag and this bravado look at him? But yet he, he pulled it off at the highest levels of college football to a point where he got himself drafted first overall and what people thought might be a generational quarterback draft. And there may be a couple of generational quarterbacks in there, which is not the ones who, you know, yeah. not the first couple. But I, I do think some of his um, some of his limitations, physical and otherwise, do get magnified at the NFL level. And I think he's someone who, if, could he be a winning quarterback on a great team with everything around him pretty much in place? He can. He did it for a year. You know what I mean? We, 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 he got, I mean, the, look, you say what you want about the, how good the Browns are now or whether it was fluky or whatever, but they came out of a COVID season with a rookie head coach who barely had met the team in a division that's traditionally pretty strong and found a way to get in the playoffs and humiliate the Pittsburgh Steelers in what some thought might be Ben Roethlisberger's last game. So, like, all, all that happened. Um, was it sustainable? I mean, maybe if everybody else around him is, is also pulling at 95%, you know, optimal productivity or more. But obviously that wasn't the case last year. Um, the falling out with Odell Beckham was, was, was subpar, to say the least. Yeah. Um, and it left him in a situation where he's got a walk away from money to get to one of the, to start with your, go back to your original question, supply and demand to go back to one of the only, you know, two, maybe three places that were ever going to really make any sense for him anyway. Yeah. You know, I like his commercials. I like the fact that he was a walk on. I sort of like him. 
Now they're gonna. That coach will be fired at the end of this year because they'll go five and eleven again, and it'll anyway. Plug your radio show for us. Thank you. Plug I'm it. on vacation from the radio this week, Tone. Um, okay. I'm here at the uh, at the beach, but we'll be back on Inside Access on 105.7 The Fan uh, next week. And and my buddies Tim Barbalis and Ken Wyman are holding it down quite quite well without me as. Uh, I sort of uh, navigate uh, what, what's next for me in the world of NFL reporting tone. So it's interesting. It's the first time in almost 20 years where I'm not positive who I'm going to be doing what for in terms of traditional NFL coverage uh, this coming season. So it's been kind of interesting to wade through this, uh, this new age media landscape and see, uh, see what's next. You're going to end up good. You're really good. Oh, You're going so. to end up good. No, yeah. I, it's going to be interesting to be able to do get like like. I mean, you we went through this yourself, where you yeah. go from sort of yourself, like mind, body, soul, as this one kind of entity. Like for you, a columnist, you know what I mean. Then you start flexing these different muscles, and it's like, well, wait a minute, there there might be a whole different way to go about this. Where, like, I the whole way I think of myself and what my work product is completely changes. It'll be fine. You know that. I'm fired uh, up. Appreciate it, Jason. Enjoy the beach. Appreciate we'll, you, brother. We'll take a break. We will come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Got your emails, faxes. Your notes. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Gonna read some for all you folks. My thanks to Ronnie Newmeyer and Tom Lofgren for that. Uh, you want to do the Bethesda Bagels ad? Yes, I also want to remind folks, if they want to see Ronnie Newmar, he's doing a yeah. show at the Birchmere tomorrow night uh, called Laurel Canyon. It's going to be great music. Ronnie's just fantastic. Really worth checking out. Jackson uh, Brown's music is yes, going to uh, be Yeah, played. Buffalo Springfield Birds, yeah. all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, be yeah. fantastic at the Birchmere tomorrow night. And we, we love Bagel City. Uh, not Bagel City, I'm sorry, Bethesda Bagels. We used football. to love Bagel City, City, but they're gone. <laughs> they are we gone. appreciate Bethesda Bagel Bagels. City. Yes, Bethesda Bagels. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. That will just about do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me say, if Sonny had an easy pass, he'd be alive today. Um, James Kahn died yesterday, and a lot of people, we even thought about a melancholy trails to him on the basis of the Brian Piccolo oh, yeah. movie. Um, well, Billy D. Williams and James Kahn yeah, as so. Gail Sayers and Brian Piccolo. But I, you know, my position was, look, he's one guy. <laughs> He's Santino. He's one guy. <laughs> yes, he the rest did. of it stops. Stop. He's Santino, you know. And at the at the Jones Beach interchange, it's over. <laughs> the Causeway, yeah. yeah, yeah. Doesn't work. Thanks also, for yes, go ahead. I was gonna say also great with cameras throwing him down and <laughs> breaking yeah, him money. Through. Here, take twenty. Get out of here. Uh, the Get code, here. code is not final yet, but TK Ham three. Go ham at johnnyo.com. Celebrate mm. the hammer's birthday. Really? That's just coming up with next the, week? Yeah. So coming up. Mom just found a, uh, a Little League pin from when I was a kid. And you and look just like Henry. I look like the hammer. Yes. Yeah. It's fantastic. Thanks to our guests today, Liz Clark, Jason Lock, and Fora. Thanks to Simply Safe. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. So apparently, Nigel, we have a new game, and the new game among the littles is what? It's, yeah, the name of the name your yearbook. yearbook? 
My yearbook was Patches. Yes. At George W. Hewlett High School. Your yearbook I was... Just went, I went to the archives. The Woodley Oaks, apparently. The Woodley the Oaks. Oaks was, was Murray. Yours was... The Lance. Okay. From Ted Keniston in Cincinnati, Ohio. My high school's yearbook was called The Log. The newspaper was The Leaf. The school's name was Sycamore High School, and that may have had something to do with it. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, John Molino, Fredericksburg, Virginia. Evening Parade. Xavier High School, New York, New York. Evening Parade. Feels that like seems a... so very specific for a yearbook, <laughs> it does. doesn't it? Um, Nick Rice. Late okay. edition Dear paper. Uncle Tony, first time, long time. You seemed a bit proud of the fact that your high school yearbook's name was Patches, so I thought I'd try to one-up you. My hometown is East Liverpool, Ohio, and our yearbook is still called Keramos, K-E-R-A-M-O-S, which is Greek for of the clay. My hometown's original claim to fame is that it was once the pottery capital of the world due to its location on the mighty Ohio River and the late 19th century immigrants that brought their skills to our hills. Believe it or not, there were once hundreds of potteries and pottery-associated businesses in our area. While we may no longer be the capital of all things pottery, we cling to our history and heritage so much that we are still known as the East Liverpool Potters, and our mascot is Potter Pete, a fiery kiln. I think a kiln. I hear the word kiln. And it's, come on, it's Fawn Leibowitz. Come on. That is capable of eating our competition. See photo of an original version below. Surely this blows your yearbook out of the water by a mile. Yeah, but I, you know, I don't really care. You know, Nick Rice, <laughs> the high school of 83. Former Notre Dame football coach Lou Holtz was raised in East Liverpool and is a East Liverpool high school graduate before attending nearby Kent State University. And finally, to clarify, our city is not directionally challenged like some people. We were named to distinguish ourselves from another settlement named Liverpool in central Ohio, not from the birthplace of the Fab Four. And that's certainly fair. Charlie Burtz in Springfield, Virginia. And this is about Jimmy Kahn. The passing of James Kahn forms a stunning circle, with this being the year of the Godfather turning 50. From his improvising bada-bing into the lexicon to his disdainful littering of dollar bills at the ground of a battered photographer, Mr. Kahn forever defined the image of the Hollywood gangster. Yes, yes. Though he may have surrendered to type against his will in later years, fans are forever grateful for his expanding his legend in Honeymoon in Vegas, Rollerball, Gardens of Stone, and even Elf. Let's all raise a glass tonight to the immortal Sonic and then smash it against the wall with as much rage as our hearts can summon. Uh, a haiku for James Caan from Shad, an iconic role, an iconic film that launched thousands of emails. Yes. From Julie Arafat in Las Vegas, although you were incorrect that Thomas Jefferson died on the same day he was born, your memory retained an interesting coincidence about his passing. Jefferson died on the 4th of July, 1826, 50 years after signing the Declaration of Independence. John Adams, the second president of the United States, also died on that exact same day. On his deathbed, Adams' last words were, Jefferson survives. While Adams could not have known Jefferson's fate, it gives history to a unique coincidence. The only other president to die on the 4th of July was James Monroe. The only president born on the 4th of July was Calvin Coolidge, and this year would have been his 150th birthday. His hometown of Plymouth Notch, Vermont, had quite a party. That's that a fan, lot. Yes. There's a lot in that. Thank you, Julia. That's From Nathan, Nathan in Oceanside, California. Which is dip more difficult to say, whole home or Russell Westbrook? <laughs> They're both hard. Whole home, just make it your entire home. Yeah. I mean, copy readers, read it out loud so you see. From Randy B. Reed, R-E-E-D, from the Reed Chiropractic Clinic in Solon, Ohio. 
in the future, will you introduce your grandson as the Kornheiser Reed? <laughs> sort of like that. I'll hang up and listen. Are you going to get that back pain from the newborn carrying again? <laughs> from Chris Cavanaugh. Just wanted to send a quick thanks for the hours and hours of entertainment over the last several years. I was a longtime fan of PTI, sports reporters, etc., but didn't know what a podcast was until nine years ago. Since then, I've logged a few thousand miles listening to parking situations in the greater D.C. metro area, monkey pick football games, the golf woes of a balding orange man, the highs and lows of the Nats, Kip's weather, winter weather forecast, and the oh-so-punchable lace solicit. I've even had a few emails slip by Nigel's high standards and get read on the air. I'll be tuning in July 11th to 13th as I run the Badwater 135 Ultra Marathon in Death Valley. Mm -mm. I start Monday night and hope to finish 135 miles later on Wednesday morning. I've saved up a few weeks' worth of podcasts to get through at least a few hours of the fun. And just wanted to let you know my training plan was inspired by this fine show. Simply stated, I wanted to run more, so I ran more. <laughs> Thanks for the entertainment over the years. And although I'm not on a bike, I do plan to wear white. You have our best wishes. Yes, good luck. The notion that somebody can do this is thrilling to me. Yes. Crazy, <laughs> but thrilling. And in Death Valley, where I'm sure the temperatures will be totally hospitable in <laughs> July. I'm sure. From Stephen Hickey in St. John's, Newfoundland, and Labrador. Inspired by a recent emailer who questioned an unexpected bill, I did the same thing just today. FedEx sent me a bill for $190, and not knowing why, I gave them a call. Turns out an agent double-printed a label for a package I shipped two months ago, which caused their system to automatically charge me for the second label. Had I not listened to today's show, I probably would have just paid it and moved on. So thanks. From Kevin Disher in Bay City, Michigan. Is that near Kalamazoo, Bay City? I don't know. I can go to the map. Okay. This morning at the farmer's market, I came across a cantaloupe. I thought to myself, this melon has all the personality of Patrick Cantlin. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me happy. From Nick Petruzowitz, and I hope I pronounced that correctly, senior golf editor at ESPN.com. As the former official resident of Northeast Pennsylvania for the Tony Kornheiser Show, I should probably ask before I declare myself that, huh? I wanted to correct Mr. Tony's memory. I grew up in Throop, Pennsylvania, 10 miles from Scranton, 20 miles from Carbondale. Mark Feinstein was talking about Route 6 earlier this week, and Mr. Tony started reminiscing about the old days in camp. He mentioned where he used to go to buy sporting goods. He said it was Einan's, which is close but wrong. The store was in the town of Einan. This is so right. This is so right. Thank you, Nick. The store was in the town of Einan, but the name of the place was Sugarman's. I know because I used to get baseball spikes and bats there. Grabbed a handful of golf tees from the big wine barrels set up in the aisles. I'm pretty sure we got a refrigerator and some tires and filled prescription in the drugstore. The place had everything. I do not recall if it had coffee ice cream, so maybe it didn't have everything. But the name was definitely Sugarman's. Yes. And my Uncle Arnie would drive there and I'd be in the station wagon and we'd pick up stuff. Sugarman's in Einan. I saw P.S. I saw Sansi a few weeks ago in the media center at the Travelers before PJ Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan spoke. I've known him a while now. Plus, he and his family are friends with one of my older brothers and my sister-in-law. So did I ask Steve how his wife Val was doing? No. Did I ask what he thought of the Saudi back golf league? No. I asked him to tell me more about his career as a high school place kicker. He just shook his head at me. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. They want to get mixed up in the family business? And now you want to gun down a police captain? Why, because he slapped you in the face a little bit? Huh? What do you think, this is the army where you shoot him a mile away? You got to get him close like this, and bada bing, you blow their brains all over your nice cyber league suit. Come in. James Kahn, kids.
Start again. Mm-hmm. 